On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses recent concert experiences with Duran Duran, The Fix, and Peter Hook in the Light. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this special concert series edition of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friend Ken Gregory as we discuss seeing Duran Duran, The Fix, and Peter Hook and the Light. That wasn't so bad for not having done it in a while, Ken. What's up, my friend? You are right on. We have transitioned. We, we, we've crossed the Rubicon from uh, Prague to post-punk new wave. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, you and I have always kind of, you know, crossed that river from time to time. I, I spent a lot of time on the other side of that particular Rubicon. So, um, I, I mean, dare I say, when when we met, you were more of a Fix fan and a Tubes fan. Yep. And at that point, I would have been into Rush, Ozzy, ACDC, Metallica, and I'm not sure. And uh, having experienced Prague very early and burned through it, um, I had to play catch up when you and Paul became Proggers. <laughs> yeah, and I and I, I still I still have that sensation of catch up throughout this uh podcast but i think that's what i i think that's what i like uh rediscovering things that i liked when i was younger but but simultaneously uh we could not avoid duran duran when 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 we were young it was just inevitable they were that huge and uh you know all the girls and half of the guys would admit that they liked duran duran <laughs> you think half the guys see i think many much fewer than half the guys would admit they liked Duran Duran back in the day. A few. <laughs> good, good call. Good call. I mean, um, I, I know, I know, my Duran af- af- affection was very well closeted. Okay, fair enough. I had, I had very discreet, assorted Duran Duran um, Maxell tapes that I probably would not have brought out in in uh, company, but that's all right. <laughs> funny, because we knew, you know. The the some of the girls in in the the friends group that we had you know at that time were hardcore Durannies. So you know I had access to all the recordings. So essentially I had all the first three albums and a lot of the the remixes, you know, just remixed, reordered in mixtapes. Very very fortunate that you did. <laughs> Indeed. Um, yeah, I know. I I, I would have heard new wave and pop from the radio and mtv uh but also had a younger sister who who just you know blasted some of that stuff now now and again i'm thinking back to paul having older sisters he saw them transition through the likes of 70s bands yeah like sticks and the whole myriad of of 70s bands uh and, and and they gravitated into uh new wave i remember paul was really into a band called the press club okay um yep 
out of the Lancaster area, and that that may not be the same as the press club band that you get. Uh, it's not no, the one that comes up when you Google it is a uh, a recent incarnation. Hmm. Uh, but I, I I I just remember the look and the sound of new wave. And one of my first concerts was um, Robert Hazard and the Heroes, Philadelphia staple of a yeah. band that marketed themselves in white and red and black with a new wave sound and synthesizer was hot in the mix and and even you know on the local uber macho radio stations 93.3 wmmr and 94.1 wysp you could not fully disengage from this whole new wave craze it permeated everything yeah, it, it really did. It's funny you talk about Robert Hazard. The very first concert I ever went to um, that my oldest brother was forced to take me against his will, by the way, was the tubes at the Allentown Fairgrounds and Robert Hazard opened up for them. Amen, brother. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was that really was my musical DNA. And I'm sure I've told the story before, but like the Fix were the first band that I really got into on my own. Um, my middle brother, Dave, used to make mixtapes off the radio and and I would steal those and listen to those. And one of them had Red Skies and Stand or Fall and I was, I was just taken by them. And so I remember I had, it was, it was just before I moved junior high schools. I spent seventh grade in, in Lenape, and then obviously I moved to Unami and met you and, and the rest of the guys in for eighth grade. But that that um, spring of seventh grade, when I had already lived in Chalfont, I remember I must have been, what, 13, 14, whatever you are in seventh grade. Um, mm -hmm. Somehow I got my mother to let me have a birthday party, and all my Lenape friends came out to Chalfont. And oh, the the record album. Party. Yeah, the the record album party. Exactly. I believe "Reach the Beach" was one of those those record albums that I got at that party, yeah. and I was just I was stunned. Couldn't uh, couldn't believe it. So all of this happened recently, and and so I saw Duran Duran on a Tuesday night in Fort Worth. I saw The Fix in Austin on Wednesday night of actually just this week that we're recording it. So it was um, the the 30th and 31st of August. Ken, when did you see Peter Hook? It was mm. shortly before that, wasn't it? It would have been the 26th of August. Now, Peter Hook is fascinating. We talked about, you know, the new wave DNA and everything else. When I went away to schools, when I discovered at that point, New Order, I had not honestly heard them in high school, I don't think. And you didn't have to be into New Order very long before you figured out their relationship to Joy Division. And so, you know, that was something with which I was familiar. But I don't know that I really knew the story around Peter Hook until you and I were discussing this. Because my my anchor into that those bands was always um, Bernard Sumner, who was in Electronic with... Johnny Marr and really? Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys. Yeah. Johnny Marr and Bernard Sumner. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. 
So, so for both of them, that would have been a side project, but for you, it was an entry. Back then, I knew New Order. Um, one of my freshman year roommates liked New Order, had a lot of the New Order stuff. And so I knew them, but I didn't know like the band. It was only when Electronic came out and it was, I think they literally, I don't th even think they made a full album. They maybe made an EP. When you start talking, oh, this has got one of the guys from New Order. And you're like, okay, who's that? And then you start to sort of dig around. So that was my my very first entry into into the personnel of New Order. Fantastic. For, the, for, the, for the structure of this episode... Um, I guess uh, you will go first. You will uh, review Duran Duran with Niall Rogers, and you will review The Fix. And then as a tag along, I will review Peter Hook and the Light. That sounds great. And the way it turned out, like I said, it, it was it was a bit of an adventure. I had Duran Duran was announced to be playing in what I will call the quote unquote big arena in Fort Worth, which is very much like the the big arena in Dallas, only it's shorter. Oh, funny. <laughs> it like architecturally it's very similar, but it's it's just not quite as big. It doesn't have like the super nosebleed ring up top um and things like that. But but structurally it's very the same. And it was one of those things where I just I saw the concert was announced and I went in and I bought tickets just without even thinking about it. Because I, I love Duran Duran. I've seen Duran Duran twice. I actually saw them in 88. Fun story. And, you know, I think back to, I, I tell stories about my, my youth. And knowing what I know about my mother, I don't know how I got away with some of the shit I got away with. Ha. My stepsister and I, and I want to say there was one or two other people. It was Jennifer Ayers. And it may have been, I think there was another one of the girls there. It may have been maybe a Tracy Lesher or someone else. In 88, when Duran Duran were touring for Notorious, the four of us hopped on a train downtown, rented a room at the Four Seasons where, the Dur where Duran Duran were staying because the girls had hopes of meeting the band. Crazy. And uh, yeah, we went to the show, stayed at the hotel and took the train back the next day. And it just, I know I did this, but the fact that my mother allowed me to do this is mind boggling to me. I saw them um, whatever year that the Super Bowl was in Dallas, um, which I think was 06, 07, 08, something like that. Man. There, there was a, MTV was putting on some sort of a a, a live or a semi live broadcast, and so I somehow Melissa scored us free tickets to a show featuring Jason Derula, Duran Duran, and Kid Rock, which was weird, painful. Yeah, um, Duran Duran were great. Kid Rock has the ugliest band I've ever seen in my life. Um, but anyway, the, the, the show was announced and I'm like, I gotta go. I love Duran Duran, you know, it's good stuff. And, and then it was just a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month, maybe two months at tops. I got an email from the Keswick theater telling me that there were tickets to see the fix. And I said, the fix, 
I wonder if they're, you know, going to be anywhere closer than the Keswick Theater. And lo and behold, they were in they were in Austin on the 31st of August. They were in Houston on the 1st of September. And they were in, um, let's see. I, yeah, I think it was, it was Austin on the 1st or the 31st, Houston on the 1st, and Dallas on the 2nd. Now, the second is a Friday, so I have my kids. I'm like, well, that's not going to work. Um, and so I went to Sarah and I said, hey, I know that you're going to be up in Fort Worth for Duran Duran on, on Wednesday or Tuesday. I said, how would you feel about going to Austin on Wednesday to see The Fix? And she's like, sure. I'm like, great. So I bought tickets. And then she follows up and says, now, who's, who's this band? Huh. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> But the coolest thing about it is, is I, you know, I, I, I said, yeah, here, you know, she's like, what's their, what's their best record? I said, well, my favorite is Phantoms. I said, but, you know, Reach the Beach is arguably maybe their best. So she started listening and she loved it. It was great. Like she totally just immersed the entire catalog that she could get her hands on. I hadn't known that the fix had a new album. They just released it earlier this year. They actually have, Oh wow! there was, there was an album that was released four or five years ago called beautiful friction of which I was not aware, um, which is an absolutely beautiful album. Both these, these last two records are great. This band um, still has, has it going on. So we're very excited to see both of those, but I, I give all that, that preamble because the way that we ended up seeing the bands was absolutely perfect. Um, if we had seen them in reverse order, I don't think it would have played quite as well. And that's, oh, wow. and, and so, so let's just go to Duran Duran. Ken, I felt like it was 1985. I swear to God. And I guess before we get there, we have to talk about the opening act. I sent you guys a text um, about Nia Rogers and Sheik. This guy is is phenomenal. He's yeah. he's, he's a great showman. His band is is Crackerjack, um, but I wasn't I wasn't like I I'd never seen Nile Rodgers. I'd never listened to Chic necessarily, and so I was like, eh, you know, I don't know what this is really going to do for me. But what I guess I didn't fully take into consideration is that Nile Rodgers is a bomber songwriter. And so he starts playing things like Like a Virgin and Material Girl by Madonna. He plays Modern Love by David oh, Bowie. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and, and he's he's playing all these songs and you're just like, oh my God. And I mean, he's got essentially the full stage. He's got, you know, the the whole background and light show going. I mean, like he it was almost a double bill, right? He's got everything right. going on. Right. And um, it was, it was absolutely stunning. Um, just the, the music he played. And it, it was just, it was wild watching him perform and hearing all these, these great tunes when they did let's dance. It like the place oh my went, God. went wild. It was phenomenal. Right. <laughs> right.
So, like I said, I wasn't, you know, by the time Nia Rogers left the stage, I'm like, I could go home, but but wait, that's not what I came here for. His collaboration with Bowie is possibly his best, maybe the most profitable and fruitful. But he also did something with In Excess. Did he play anything off of that? He did not, no. Really? Yeah. Because Original Sin was recorded with Niall Rogers. Really? Oh, I love Original Sin. That's a great one. I would have loved that. He's just, he, yeah, he's just been a powerhouse. And we, we touched on this. Uh, the, 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 there was some banter between Peter Gabriel and Niall Rogers. But Niall Rogers was more of a, a city nightlife American partying, you know, being being part of the scene while he was being creative. And Gabriel was, you know, in a farmhouse in Bath. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, what you get is is Madonna. You get Diana Ross. You get David Bowie, Duran uh, Duran. He's fantastic. Yeah, it, it really was. It was great. So it's like, okay. Oh, Daft Punk. Did you get that that side of him? I don't know that I did. Oh, my God. I, I mean, I, I honestly, I didn't know a lot of it. I'm just like, wow. Um, yeah, it was just one thing after another. Niall Roderick is off stage. They they switch over the stage. The house lights go down again, and I swear, Ken, it was like 1985. This place erupted with noise. Awesome! It was it was truly exhilarating to experience, right? And so Sarah and I were having sort of this back and forth about, you know, what are they going to play first and, and everything else. I, I had picked Rio. She had picked something else. But they came out with the freaking Wild Boys, which it was just perfect. I mean, it's it's boisterous and there's a lot of yelling and it it was just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And um, yeah, it, it and it never let up. Like they did Wild Boys and Hungry into Hungry Like the Wolf, um, and then they did um, a couple of tracks from the, the new record.
And then they went into Notorious. And it was just, so it was funny. I kept thinking about Paul the whole time because Duran Duran currently is the the four members, um, Simon, Nick, John Taylor, and Roger Taylor. And this guy, Dom Brown, plays guitar for them. And so by all accounts, right, Dom Brown's the, the hired gun in this scenario. Dom Brown acts like a fucking rock star. I swear he changed guitars after every freaking song. And I don't you know, like, you know, it was it was really funny trying to watch him do that because he he he'll switch up. He has strats and tellies and he's got a couple of Les Pauls that he plays mostly for stuff off the first album as a general rule. Um, but I very much enjoyed watching all of that. I was bummed out, though, because Dom Brown's Instagram feed had been teasing or at least showing, I guess they played a couple shows in, in Madison Square Garden recently or something. At some point, Nile Rodgers joined the band for the song Notorious, which, of course, he co-wrote. And so when they did that, I'm like, oh, cool. I was expecting Nile Rodgers to come out. Like, that was going to be one of the highlights of my night. But he didn't. So I'm thinking, oh, maybe there's another track from Notorious. But alas, it was not to be. Yeah, just the, sh the show in general was extremely energetic. The band sounded really, really good. Um, the only thing I would say is their stage design was a little off-putting. They really? had, yeah, they had like, there was a, a big screen at the back of the stage, as you could generally imagine. And, but they had the, there were these, these columns um, with lights on them in front of that screen. And so you never saw the whole screen because there was this rig sort of in front of it. It was, it was very kind of strange. You know, they had, um, so in addition to the five members of, of the band, they had. Two, I'm sorry, you felt like you had an obstructive view? I, I mean, it, it was obstructed by the very design of the stage. Right. There, there were like five columns hanging in front of the screen. Oh. Yeah. It's like, didn't someone, you know, look at that at one point and go, well, that's a little weird, but apparently not. Looking for pictures? <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm desperate to see what you're, you're referencing. In addition to the band, they had two backup singers who were spectacular, as well as a saxophone player who was equally spectacular. Required for Rio, among other things. Right. Yeah. They, they really utilized him um, quite a lot. And I think they utilized him in a good way. They, they played a full spectrum of tracks from the catalog. They did. Oh, so after Notorious, they went into A View to a Kill. But before they did that, they actually, they opened up with sort of the, the Bond theme.
Oh, neat. With the, uh, you know, where the, it's, it's tracking the, the profile down the barrel of a gun. And Absolutely. The, and, and they did that whole thing. And, and the then sights. they went to a view to a kill, which was great. Then they did, um, you know, come and done. They went into union of the snake. They did friends of mine in careless memories, which was kind of cool. Friends of mine was a big surprise. I didn't expect to hear that at all. Um, ordinary world tonight, United planet earth, hold back the rain, the reflex. And here's the weird thing. One of the last songs they played, the main set finished on girls on film, which very, very cool, very, very boisterous. But before that, they played, of all things, White Lines. I don't know if you remember that from their covers album in like 80, 96, something like that. Wow. It, it's it's a really weird song, and I don't believe they did it. So then they came back for the encore, and they did Save a Prayer and Rio. And, I mean, Rio is just, Rio's a, just a baller song anyway. It, and John and Roger are just going balls out on that one, and it's phenomenal. And it was just as good live. Simon is hilarious still. He's ridiculously tall. You forget how tall he is. And really? Oh yeah. He's he's taller than John. It's it's ridiculous. And he's got these super like he's all leg. He's he's probably two-thirds leg, and his legs are really skinny, but he's got like the dad bod torso these days. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he still looks good overall, but um, oh, yeah. you know, he's just he's so incredibly tall. It's just Un uncanny and like the three of them john simon and dom were all wearing white shoes or sneakers which was just like blinding i don't know it was it was great it was wonderful um nick's in this wonderful silvery type suit that took on the the aspect of whatever lights were on him at the time it was I mean, it was it was really something to see, and the crowd absolutely loved it. There were there were people, you know, screaming throughout the whole thing. There were just women dancing everywhere. There was a guy in front of us, and I, I knew before the show started that this guy was was into it because he had the most spectacular. Seven and the Ragged Tiger t-shirt I've ever seen in my ah. life. The The entire shirt was dyed to look like parchment. Because you know the whole aesthetic of Seven and the Ragged yeah. Tiger. On the back, 
was this, and and I'm assuming it's in the packaging somewhere, but it's it's probably a minor part. But on the back was this this graphic of I don't even know. It was essentially like maybe diamond shaped, and it had in that was red or like a maroon and inside it was like this line with three crossing lines on it. And then on the front, it had like the seven and the ragged tiger um, album cover, I think. So this guy, he was, he had it going on. Let me tell you, Ken, and we've all, we've all been at shows and we've seen people like this. And I am genuinely jealous on certain levels of people like this. Ah. This man was in rapture throughout the entire show. I don't even think he knew anyone else was in the arena. (laughs) All he saw was those five or, you know, eight people up on the stage and he reveled in every song. And it was honestly a joy just to be that close to someone having such a good time. Like I was having a good time, but I'm incapable of being as uninhibited as as this gentleman (laughs) was. And so I greatly admire the fact that, that he was able to do that. It was, it was really, really great. Yeah. Duran Duran, absolutely spectacular. Um, Musically, they were really good. Uh, Rio was actually funny when they, when they, came out um and they were you know trying to finish up with rio john's bass like shat the bed and so the band literally stopped (laughs) oh yeah because you can't do rio without the bass line it's just it's not gonna work and and it was you know it was kind of funny to see in real time and hopefully i've got the recording but but to hear the band kind of peter out you know as as you know, one by one, they're like, wait a second. And then they got the last guy going, oh, wait, we stopped? What? At least you know it's live. Yeah. And um, and and so they, you know, John walked off stage. His tech, you know, was there and they, they did whatever. And he's like, okay, it works. And then they, you know, I guess the guys at the board hit reset on the, the light show. And they, they did the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Beautiful. So, oh, man. yeah, so, so that was really cool. And I guess the other, the other thing that I will add, you know, in terms of the general enthusiasm around this show, the merch lines were outrageous. Yeah. I mean, I have never seen merch lines like this and they were like that the entire time. It was wild. Yeah. And supposedly that's how the bands make money because everything else a, a cut is going to promoters and venue and insurance and anything you can imagine yeah i mean bravo to these guys i'm, I'm sure they have uh lavish lifestyles that need funding and uh they're doing it the right way and they're still working in their old age <laughs> i support them well it's uh, so funny right because you know we spend so much time seeing these prog bands who are what 10 to 15 years older and, and, you know, guys like Duran Duran look positively young at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I, I pulled up a picture of the dad bod. The mirror is, uh, all, well, all British publications are brutal. But, yeah, the, the mirror has a picture of, of Simon on vacation in Italy. Uh, but, yeah, he, he, he wears it well. I, 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 you know, I'm thinking the right way to do it is, is like Guy Garvey of Elbow. If you're not familiar with them. Take a listen. Very lush, very wonderfully British, uh, modern, alternative music. And but you know, Guy Garvey came out large and proud from the very beginning. So, <laughs> 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 so, 
Simon had to earn the body. He did. Um, so, so like I said, Duran Duran was everything that I wanted it to be, which was great. But as much as I love Duran Duran, and as much as I think Duran Duran probably don't get as much musical credit as maybe they should, and and maybe if I hadn't seen the fix the day after for the first time ever, I'd feel differently. But Duran Duran just didn't even compare to the fix. Sadly. Wow, um, it it wasn't even it wasn't even close, and and the the two shows could not have been more different. So Duran Duran, as it should be, is you know in the big arena with the big stage show, um, you know everything else, and, and and you haven't gone there yet, but I'm assuming Simon's performance was relatively impeccable. Oh yeah, maybe with some gruff here or a, a shout there, but but he he largely is is maintaining a better vocal stature than he ever did when he was young. I think so. Yeah, I think he. You know, and it's funny actually because sometimes it was difficult to even hear Simon because everyone else was singing. Yeah, like yeah. It, there was so much noise throughout the entire thing. But yes, Simon sounded um, spectacular, and Simon didn't seem to be. Like all of the guys in the band, whether they had an instrument or were just singing, it they all they're professionals at this point, and it all seemed very effortless to them. There was not a lot of of straining. It was it was great. But but contrast that with the fix. We literally saw the fix in what amounted to a bar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I was standing right in front of Jamie West Orem, which is exactly where I wanted to be. And I had never seen them. And that band, I mean, they're, they're both really good, but I just, I don't know. Maybe it was just too much dealing with, with the fix. They were, they were spectacular, but even before we get to the fix, we got to back up a little bit because the tickets for, um, for the fix very clearly stated the fix with special guest Royston Langdon. Are you familiar with Space Hog at all, Ken? Sorry, Joe. Space Hog. I wasn't either. I didn't know who Royston Langdon was until this dude comes out wearing all white. He's got white, big plastic sunglasses, a little white hat and an acoustic guitar, and he opens up with what I discovered after the fact was a, an Iggy Pop cover song mm-hmm. of Nazi Girlfriend. And and it was just, I'm just like, what am I seeing here? And Royston was, was captivating. And, and Royston ended up also covering David Bowie, he has a new EP out that includes not only Nazi Girlfriend, but also Ashes to Ashes by Bowie. I got a message from the I never did anything 
ashes fall to fucking We don't age a time's a junkie He's strung out of heaven's high Hitting an all-time So I saw two bands covering David Bowie or two performers covering David Bowie on two consecutive nights in the opening act, which was very unusual. On the way back um, from Austin after the show, you know, I'm on my phone trying to figure out who this Royston Langston is and come to find out he was the bassist and lead singer for Space Hog. Um, And perhaps more surprisingly, when you look at him, he was for a time married to and procreated with Liv Tyler. So... Mm, mm. There you go. Fascinating. Um, it, it really, really was. He was uh, he was something, no doubt about it. Uh, very much in, enjoyed it. And I I listened to Space Hogs The Hogacy, because why not? You know, it's 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 not bad. It, it, it's kind of all over the map, and there's there are two or three apparently Langdon brothers, um, of which, you know, Royston is one, but yeah, so there you go. That was that was the uh, the surprise for that, and then so the fix come out, and it Bravo. was it was interesting, right? Because when you're in a, a club that small and you're right on the stage and you're standing in right in front of Jamie West Orham, I didn't get to hear Rupert Greenall, the keyboardist, very much because um, all I heard not not too loudly. I mean. It, it, Sure, but but was was the guitar? I could hear the drums and the bass. I could hear the singer very well. But from where I was, because um, we were we were sort of right underneath the monitors, so I couldn't get the keyboards. They were probably just going right. over my head at that point. But it was it was spectacular. And Jamie West Orham is a surprisingly understated guitarist. Um, the lines that he plays and the, the chords that he makes and everything else, very subtle for the most part. He has a couple of points where he kind of goes off and, and wails a little bit, but most of the time he's just, he's very deliberate in what he does. Um, but it was, it was great to be that close to him and, and see his rig. We got, um, we got a picture of, of his pedal board which I keep meaning to send to you guys, just if anyone wants to have any fun checking that out. But as a band, they are phenomenal. They are super duper tight. Everyone is great. I have been fixated with Dan K. Brown since he he showed up um, on Phantoms, whenever that was. It was probably 86, 87, something mm-hmm. like that. I had no idea how this guy, he's phenomenal. So I sent you guys the picture, right? He came out in this, he had a white top hat, dark shades, this sort of black and maybe silver jacket with this sort of wild pattern on it, Um, a white shirt with a bolo tie, nondescript gray pants, and like bedazzled shoes. His shoes were like nothing but sparkles. It was wild. So he comes out with this outlandish outfit and the guy never moves, Ken. He walks back into his corner next to the drum kit 
and he just stands there. His mm-hmm. his body never moves. He'll he'll swivel his head occasionally, and and he sings like a mofo. He I mean, sings like a mo, and he plays like a mofo. Yes, yes. And and and, and he, it's it's like you've got some sort of a weird statue with an animated you know neck and these hands that are just doing this wonderful shit on this five string Steinberger. I was utterly captivated. I mean, he didn't do anything other than play spectacularly, but I couldn't not look at him. And it turned out we were in actually the best spot to see because Jamie was right in front of us. Cy was right next to him. And in between the two of them, I could see Adam, the drummer, and Dan, the bass player. And so the only guy I didn't really get to see terribly well was Rupert because he was behind his keyboard stack sort of... um off on the on the right hand side, uh, but uh, you know if I had if I had thought about it when I walked in, I would have I would have said I want to be on Dan's side, but all I would have been looking at were Rupert's legs. So it turns out I was in absolutely the the perfect spot for that show. And yeah, Dan K. Brown is a, a freaking killer, and Cy Kernan, phenomenal. I had been listening to a lot of of fix albums, obviously in the lead up to the show, there are three live albums that are available. And there's a, there's a, an album called 1011 Woodland, which features sort of scaled back re-recordings of some of their, their bigger songs that they had had, like in the first five or six albums. And so throughout all of this, you get, I, I developed a feel for Cy Kernan's vocal delivery and the, the fix as a band are really able to mix up their, the way they present their songs while still maintaining the central integrity of the song. It's really quite remarkable, but Cy is somehow able to like fill up vocally just the mind, right amount of room. He can, he can bring the same amount of intensity to a lyric while maybe not being as overall loud as, as he might be in other circumstances. It's, it's, it's really quite remarkable. Uh, Overall orchestration is the strength of the fix. They contribute as a team. uh, It's an ethos. It, it, you know, kind of goes back to how they formed It, it, it. It seems that Psy has just as much, power or say in it as Jamie West Orem, as Rupert, as uh, the drummer. I, I think that's what I like about the new wave, the post-punk genre. Just the musicality of it all. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we know that I've been fixated with guitars, so I couldn't, I couldn't wait to see what um what jamie was playing because i knew and and you and i had talked about this prior but i knew it had to be single coil guitars in the vein of a stratocaster it had to be if it wasn't a full strat it, it had to be something closely related and so we walked in and it was really really very funny because it turned out that Cy had a guitar that he used for one track that was already on the stage and it was it was a twin humbucker um, telly knockoff. 
And I'm like, there's no way Jamie plays a guitar with humbuckers. It just, it can't be. And so I figured it was for the opening act. Turned out it was for Psy. And shortly before the fix came on, the guitar tech came out and put two guitars on stands by Jamie's amp. And I was like, okay, this is exactly what we're looking like. And it's exactly what you described in that it basically looked very, it looked like a Strat body with maybe a different neck or something. I couldn't quite, I couldn't quite ever get the look on it. Um, it had the, the headstock shape was not fender. The, the logo and actually was on size as well. Looked like it started with an S, but I don't think it was a Schecter. Um, I'll have to look into that, but, Hmm. um, so there are two guitars out on stage and when the band comes on stage, Jamie's wearing a third and, it's like, okay, cool. So those were the three guitars that he had. Turns out he had two of these S guitars that he swapped once. And by the end of the show, for the last four songs, he switched to the third guitar, which is in fact a full-blown Fender Stratocaster. Ah. And, and he played that for the rest of the uh, of the set and including the encore. So it was... it. But I mean, they were configured exactly as you would expect them to be configured. And the sound was absolutely delightful. Oh my God. The the tones that Jamie gets is just, oh, it was perfect. Absolutely perfect. Okay. Your mystery letters are S-U-H-R, sir. Okay. Uh, uh, known for a super strat type guitar. Classic S, classic T, sir, customs. Uh, but indeed john sir worked as a senior master builder at fender's custom shop oh. in, in 1997 sir left fender to form his own company with steve smith so there you go there you go excellent mystery solved now i know so yeah they've got uh they've got the uh the 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 strat dna in there and it was very cool so we met um, we met a very nice gentleman who was also standing right next to us who had seen the fix, I think he said seven or eight times at this point. He was very familiar with them. Um, and it was it was funny because, you know, he and I were just having a conversation and I said something and he just kind of laughed. He's like, you know a lot about the band, don't you, if you're asking questions like that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I asked him how many times he'd seen them with Dan. Um, but anyway, it was really very cool because after the show, he uh, he hopped around the side of the stage, pilfered Jamie Westorum's set list, and gave it to Sarah, which I thought was really very nice. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, and, that's great. And then when we were done, you know, because it's a small venue, so we were kind of like, you know, hanging out, um, just sort of talking, because I didn't know if the band would come back out and mingle or whatnot. And it's, you know, just it's in a in a situation like that i figured it was probably worth it to do so and nothing was really happening so we're like all right well we'll, we'll just you know go to the car because we had a literally a two-hour drive home at that point and as we're walking out the front of the venue sigh walks off the bus which was parked right in front of the venue like literally at the same time and and it was just absolutely perfect so we hung out for a little bit and and, you know, I got my chance to sort of, you know, give him the spiel. And, you know, it was, it was kind of fun. I'm like, yeah, I've been a fan for like 38 years. And she's been a fan for two months. And he's, he laughed. He's like, well, thanks for bringing the newbie. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you lucky beast. That's yeah. So, so cool. that was that was uh you know it was it was great. Like I would have loved to have met Dan K. Brown, but when you get someone whose on stage persona is like that, and we saw this with um, I guess what was it? It was Mark Kelly when we saw Marillion, right? Some of these performers don't want to deal with people, and I suspect that Dan K. Brown is one of those people. But someone like Cy Kernan, you know, that's I'm sure that's you know part of his deal. And so, I you know, it was it was very fortunate. So I got him to sign a CD booklet from a live live album of theirs that I had, excellent. Um, which was you know just it was kind of great. It was it was a spectacular show. They they did you know. A lot of the songs that I would have wanted, they really covered tracks throughout their entire um, career, both, you know, great tracks from the new record all the way back. Obviously, they they kicked ass with the, the biggies, you know, the Red Skies. Fall. They actually finished with the the show finished up with one thing leads to another, Stand or Fall and Red Skies. And then they came back and their encore was a new a song on the new record called Lonely as a Lighthouse, which actually is an old song um, that they had never recorded. And it was it was sort of like there was a fan movement to get them to record the song, which they did. Then they did Save by Zero and Secret Separation.
Wow. So, you know, they, they, they covered all the, the good stuff that, um, that I wanted to hear. And I would recommend if you listen to one fix song today, one song that they played that I was absolutely thrilled with is the title track from Beautiful Friction. It's it's a spectacular song, and when they when they broke into to that riff, I was just like, oh yeah, noted. Beautiful friction. I, I did go down when I saw they announced tour dates. I did go down the rabbit hole, and the reason that I could not buy tickets for the fix at Keswick is it it, it I think it was the same night as Peter Hook, which is I suppose a good segue to Peter Hook and the Light. Absolutely. It's a perfect segue to Peter Hook and the Light. Well, I, I'm delighted that you and Sarah were uh, road dogs, as they say, and you, <laughs> you you aggressively chased down this brutal schedule of seeing Duran Duran and the Fix uh, in successive nights. Good work. That That's a flavored thing. We, we, uh, we pride <laughs> ourselves in doing these live shows. Well, the Fix were so good, I almost, I was this close to dragging my kids to see them in Dallas Friday night, because I always have wow. my kids for dinner on Friday night. And I thought the fix would be a great family band. But two things stopped me from doing that. One, the show was at the Granada Theater, which is the shitty place where you, Paul, and I saw Marillion. Terrible theater. And two, I anticipated my kids complaining very loudly if I made them stand in the middle of a crowd for three hours. Uh, but, <laughs> The, the balcony had rather boomy sound, and it's unlikely that they, you know, structurally did anything different about that. Yeah. And the only way to get better sound would, like like you're suggesting, be to be on the floor. Exactly. So, yeah. There you go. So anyway, I, ah. sorry to distract. We're talking about Peter Hook and the light. Right. Um, and and Peter, Peter Hook is, 
very important to Barkley, as I recall, right? Like she she sits around and learns new order baselines. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it was mainly the uh, level terrace apart uh, and, and may, maybe a couple others. But um, Peter Hook, just in, in general throughout his career, is a joy of a bass player. And, 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 and I'm not doing a pun on Joy Division. I mean, he's, he, he, he just his his um, riffs are genuinely fun to play. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that would hook a 12-year-old with a bass guitar. It's the kind of thing that would hook, you know, a 50-year-old. Um, just just fantastic bass lines. Now, did he do this because, you know, he secretly wanted to be a guitarist or because <laughs> he wanted to be heard over Bernard Sumner? <laughs> I, know, I really don't know, you know, what 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 that early joy division dynamic was but peter pretty much out of the gate was going to be the new wave chris squire yeah and 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 the licks are fantastic and the way that this manifests on tour is you have a bass centric opener which i will get to and and you have two bases on stage at all times when really? Peter hook and the light are playing nice yes yes <laughs> so the opener in the vein of instrumental music battles has been very popular lately which is derived from don caballero mm -hmm. if, if if you've gone down the rabbit hole of modern instrumental riffs and mixes with 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 mo modern live techno l1011 is a fantastic band with only two guys. I, I I don't know if Peter Hook himself, you know, picked L ten eleven for the fantastic bass work, or if some manager just said, "Oh, these bass centric bands need to tour together." Yeah. Uh, not 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 sure how it came about, but Christian Dunn and Tim Fogarty, Christian Dunn on bass, Tim Fogarty on drums, and and they have. Every looper you can imagine, they have you know the, the electronic drum sounds you can imagine, but it is incredibly physical. Cool, uh, you know they're 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 not just sitting a drum loop and humming over top of it. What a fantastic workout the, these these two guys managed to achieve. So L ten eleven, instrumental loopy bass centric incredible music, and 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 that gave us a fantastic opener. For Peter Hook and the Light, we were warned in advance that two entire Joy Division albums were being covered, plus an opening set, plus uh, the encore section. Mm -hmm. They moved the show a half hour earlier than the originally advertised time just to accommodate all of this. Wow. Because that, that's what Peter Hook does, right? He, he tours with either two Joy Division albums or two New Order albums, and he kind of rotates through which ones he does, right? You may be right. You may be right. I'm, I'm hyper-focused on, on what I saw. Okay. Uh, did not fully engage Setlist FM to that degree. There were only two Joy Division albums, but they had th this very famous single in between the two of them, Love Will Tear Us Apart. Yep. And as you can imagine... Uh, there are so many new order songs 
I'm sure it's hard to pick. And I, I'm sure his his fans have new ideas every time he comes around. <laughs> uh, now, I will say, I wanted to see Jack Bates. Peter Hook's son is the touring basis for Smashing Pumpkins. And his obligations with Smashing Pumpkins prevented him from going out with Dad on this particular run. Hmm. So, you know, I guess, you know, Peter and his team had to go out on the open market and find a guy who could learn everything in two weeks. Holy shit. Two weeks. Mike Squires um, uh, is a fantastic guitarist, uh, fantastic bassist, podcaster, uh, all, all, all around. Uh, he seems to have roots in Washington State and L.A. He's, he's very American. And this guy, you know, pulled it off in a very commanding fashion. If if you if you pull up any of the stuff that he did with uh, Duff McKeegan of Guns N' Roses fame, mm. um, you, you, you're going to see a guy with short hair. And then he tours with Peter Hook, and now he's got long hair. <laughs> but, but either way, Mike, Mike, Mike Squires is a, uh, a, a a badass. I mean, he's he's played with. Um, the original drummer of uh, Death Cab for Cutie. He was in this thing called Harvey Danger. Uh, if you if you just pull up Mark, Mark, Mark Mike Squire, as you'll see, um, w one of the more famous things that he produced was uh, a COVID period cover song, Young Turks. Oh wow! By Rod, Rod Stewart. Stewart, where he had members of um, all sorts of bands. <laughs> uh, Doing that one. moving on the other guys in the band you know i it's a fantastic that that mike squires learned the parts in two weeks but my god let's not forget the guys that have been doing this for over 10 years right. so yeah I, I i don't want to butcher any names here david potts uh, comes to mind uh peter has had i think two guitarists in in in, in the last 10 or 12 years with david potts being the primary one and the 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 just 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 seeing this dude, he's about our age, and he's up there with a Gibson SG, look, and and his you know Converse sneakers, looking all badass, and he's <laughs> and he sings. So so, so uh, Potts will primarily focus on the Bernard Sumner vocal parts. Interesting. Okay. While Peter himself is typically uh, covering Ian. And and I honestly don't know to to what extent Peter was doing backup vocals in Joy Division. Probably not that much, but I think a fair amount in New Order. And when you think of New Order, you're going to think of a lot of techno music that's run with sequences that's danceable, right? Um, but it's also somehow almost suited for the dentist's office. There's kind of the sheen over New Order that's very well produced. <laughs> yeah. And and if you take away that sheen and you make it more New Order, more human rock and roll, you can message Peter Hook and the band on their on the, on, the, on their Facebook. And I, I asked about their use of sequences. There were only four sequences in the show that comprised 28 songs now now the reason being 
primarily is that the uh, the two Joy Division albums were, you know, in between 1976 and 1981, where, where you know, we didn't have a lot of computers and music, obviously. Right. But, but um, when, when, when he does some of these New Order songs, he faithfully will do them with a track. And, uh, and one of the Peter Hook and the Light fans kind of took a jab at me and said, oh, it doesn't matter. But yeah, it matters because they're killing it. They, they they have the capacity to do, you know, the the human grooves and the computer grooves, and they nail all of it, and it's beautiful. And segue to Paul Kehoe, the drummer. When Barkley first played Peter Hook and the Light for me, it was the drums. It was this guy Paul Kehoe taking a New Order song and and suddenly making it fun. That's nothing against Steven, the original drummer in uh, New Order, but it, it, it's just a different way to come about it. If you're thinking, oh, I, 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 I wouldn't go to a New Order show. <laughs> well, um, this is just a different experience. It's much more human in that regard. When we, we agreed to, to do this sort of three-part episode, I did um, Peter Hook and the Light have live albums readily available on streaming services. Yes. So I was able to to sort of delve into this a little bit. And and yeah, you're absolutely right in that it it does have a very human element to it while still sort of maintaining the overall feel of the original. And I mean this isn't the first time you know we've come across this idea of you know how did you do how do you have human machine interaction in music, whether that be on the same song or in a live setting? You know, obviously here on the Palaver, talking about prog music, right? Phil Collins was a master at this, starting a song with a sequence, a drum pattern, and ending up, you know, bringing in real drumming on top of or in addition to that. But I'll also point to you know, the, the sort of shift that Depeche Mode went through where, you know, they started to actually play, you know, instruments and have a, a real drummer, huh. if you will, on tour. Um, and eventually, I think in the studio, reinterpreting some of these things that they had done originally on, on machines. So I think there's, there's probably a, a rich tradition of that, you know, certainly in this, in the new wave era. Um, that is, I, I think it's fascinating, and I love to see bands do that. Perhaps maybe a little bit more edgy. Nine Inch Nails, same sort of idea, right? Wow, thank you for that. That 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 encapsulates what I felt at this show. The, appreciating both the the sequenced groovy material and 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 the purely raw energy human material. Yeah, and um, I I think it's great to to have that experience and and see how they interpret that. I think it's brilliant. The keyboard player Martin Rebelski, he's English, like most of the core band. I see his little uh, trick here on his keyboard where it says Roland. He turns <laughs> the R into a P, and it says Poland. So <laughs> he he's a a Brit with some Polish heritage there. Um, uh, Martin Rebelski. Uh, according to my buddy uh, Mike Wiegand, who showed up at the gig, he, he he compared to the older gentleman in Peter Hook and the Light, 
he looks like the kid in two and a half men with the, <laughs> with the bowl haircut. Really? Yeah. But just because he's younger doesn't mean he's any less of a contributor. Uh, he, 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 he's got um, a lot of responsibility in this band to nail the electronics of New Order while, you know, capturing the creepy vibe of Joy Division. Right. Which he, 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 which he does very, very well. So it, it was a joy to have that sheen. <laughs> there, there was a bit of a sheen for, for Peter Hook. He's, he's, he's not all blood and guts. Um, it, 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 it's, it, it's truly interesting to hit the YouTubes to, to see what crowds do. Um, the, the, the rowdy English crowds. And I saw one video in Mexico City. Love will tear us apart again. Sometimes has audience participation over and above what you would imagine. Audiences, depending on where they are, the time of day and how much alcohol they've had, will, will <laughs> sing that chorus on their own ad nauseum until the band comes in again. And it sounds fantastic. I bet. And, 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 and I've seen this phenomenon with Marillion shows. Oh, yeah. Uh, am I thinking of the end of Three Minute Boy or whatever? There are just places where the audience will just turn uh, an, kind of an emotional artsy song in, into a, a pub howl. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Well, it, 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 so along those lines, it's not quite the same thing. When Duran Duran came back for their encore, Simon was, uh, this is, you know, these are all rehearsed bits, right? But he, um, he, he did, he introduced that song and he's like, look, let's pretend that you haven't been singing every song all night long, but ah. help me out with this one. And so when they did save a prayer, I mean, a, you know, the whole arena was just singing that chorus and it was spectacular. Oh, now I'm jealous. <laughs> there is a song, Let's Dance to Joy Division, by the Wombats. Uh, obviously, Barkley turned me on to this uh, before Peter Hook and the Light. Um, that encapsulates uh, this um, pub experience or the, the, the dancing experience or just the rowdiness of it all. Dancing to Joy Division is... Uh, tremendously cathartic experience and I, I i'm glad to have had that experience so what what venue did you see peter hook and the light in ken been to union transfer three times now saw um shaky graves there saw uh perfume genius there and saw peter hook and the light there uh it's been here for years it used to be the spaghetti factory they oh, sell okay. they they sell shirts Let's say union transfer that have a pile of spaghetti in the middle of the <laughs> of the artwork to indicate the old the old purpose of the building. Uh, it, it's just ideal. I mean, I was fourth row. It was just standing room, so I was approximately you know four people deep for this entire Peter Hook show. So just just seeing awesome. right seeing. Peter and 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 Paul and 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 Martin and you know these guys that close was just fantastic. Um, I guess I was more on the mic side and 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 he was just 
so good. I didn't realize, you know, he was only two weeks of rehearsal and then bam, I didn't see any fear in his eyes from fourth row. Let me put it that way. That's amazing. Absolutely <laughs> amazing. And, and the boss himself, you know, uh, Peter, he, he likes to, uh, he likes to go to far stage right or far stage left where I was. And since there are two bass players, he only has to play the glory moments. Right. <laughs> so, so, so he'll, 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 he'll be singing. He'll do what he has to do. And then he'll wander over to the side of the stage and give himself like one or two measures just to pose. <laughs> and then bam, he hits, you know, he hits that famous melody that everyone's been dying for it. it it's a device that really works. That sounds brilliant. I'm not and familiar with Union Station, so I, I, uh, Union Transfer. Union, yeah, yeah, yeah. Union Transfer. I can't put. Uh, I can't really. I'll have to look into it. I'm. I was just curious what the 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 visual experience was like, but it sounds it sounds really fun. I, I swear it's only you know seven or eight hundred people. I know I know the the Keswick here is something like thirteen hundred. I mean, you know, most of the shows that I go to are uh, are you know relatively intimate on one level or or another. No, not as intimate as what you saw with the fix, though. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Um, yeah, it was it was funny. Psy came out. They did the well. The, the band came out. They did the first song, and they stopped. And there was cheering. And Psy um, made some comment about how cozy it was. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let me uh, try to uh, articulate some of this in terms of. Uh, the hits i've now become a big fan of some of these new order songs uh age of consent you might uh recognize if you heard it your mm -hmm. silent face is just fantastic and the um last set included well it, it was a combination of uh joy division and new order so dead souls i enjoyed uh that that Although both Joy Division albums were covered in full, they released so many singles that it, 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 they needed to be tagged into this encore. Ceremony, New Order, fantastic. Now, Transmission is the Joy Division chorus that goes dance, 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 dance to the radio. Yep. Uh, if, if you've heard that one, it's just uh, a, a great time. Now, now, keep in mind, it was a very, you know, we're getting to the uh, 29th. That was the 28th song. <laughs> Love Will Tear Us Apart was the 29th song. And we did not deliver the Mexico City experience. We were not that rowdy crowd screaming Love Will Tear Us Apart. <laughs> I, Little I crowd hear, fatigue. <laughs> I could hear my own voice. Like I could hear, like I swear the band on stage could, could, could hear me. And I'm, I'm, and I'm looking around. The first couple rows of people like guys this is where we're supposed to sing right? <laughs> this is our part we've been waiting all night <laughs> um, so um eventually the people around me started um uh singing and and we managed to pull off uh a bit a bit of a chorus there but i i i, I gotta say yeah it it, it, it was uh 29 songs plus half hour opener is is, 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 is no joke on, on a Friday. That's and a lot. And, and I was up at, you know, 6 a.m. that day. So. <laughs>
Yeah, um, totally worth it. I got a T-shirt that I'm going to wear when we go to New Order and Pet Shop Boys. So, oh, are you uh, seeing that tour? I, they were they swung through here not too terribly long ago. Um, I don't think they were in Dallas necessarily, but I, I couldn't I couldn't find something I could get to. That's awesome. Yeah, and and even if Peter is where I register personally. I think I owe it to myself now to experience some of these songs in the full New Order vibe and just the, you know, just the professionalism of, of what they tour with, plus uh, the Pet Shop Boys, I think should be an absolutely delightful show. Yeah, I think it should be. That'd be great. So when's that? Soon enough. I I, <laughs> I don't know what today is, Joe. I honestly. All right. A uh, lot, of, lot of live music going on right now. Very exciting stuff. Some of it a little bit off the uh, the beaten path with regards to the palaver, but all of it spectacular, all of it good, all of it enjoyable. And um, yeah, I can't wait to um, hear about these other shows, share whatever experiences I have. I'm very curious to take, uh, I'm taking my daughter Grace to see Roger Waters. She has, uh, somehow she wound up with a Pink Floyd t-shirt as 12 year olds do. And so I was like, hey, you know, you're going to see a guy who's in that band. And she's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> so that will be uh, that will be great fun. But Ken, very much want to thank you for spending some some quality time here on a, a lovely Sunday morning. These are always, uh, you know, a slightly different vibe for a palaver. But I, I find it to be a perfect time to talk about concert experiences. So very much appreciate you joining in to listening to my experiences and sharing yours with Peter Hook. This is great. Excellent. Cheers, Jeff. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. You can reach us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcasts. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.